Um, a few weeks ago, I was having lunch at the new Maid Right on University Avenue, which is really good, by the way. And uh, there's a woman who works there who comes to Orchard Hill some, and she said to me, she said, when are we going to have stories from the seats? She said, those are my favorite teachings of the year. I thought of several comebacks I could make at that point, but uh, decided not to because I know exactly what she meant. There is something so powerful about hearing how God works in the lives of just normal people as opposed to our teachers. <laughs> uh, we believe that in the same way that God worked in the lives of just ordinary people like you and me in biblical times, he does that today as well. And so we have, uh, for many years now, invited some folks from our Orchard Hill family to just simply tell their story about what God has been doing in their lives. And we're starting that series today, and our guest is Caleb Hamer. Um, I would introduce Caleb to you, but he's, that's what he's going to do. He's going to tell you about himself. I'm just guessing, though, that for a lot of you, you're looking at him and say, I've seen, I've seen that guy before. And it may be that if you're down at the other end much, you've seen Caleb at the coffee bar. Caleb and his family were instrumental in getting our coffee ministry going, and he has uh, spent a lot of hours on a lot of Sunday mornings uh, serving coffee to a lot of us. So... Uh, I just think it takes a great deal of courage and uh, submission to God and his spirit for these folks to share their stories. And Caleb, thanks for being that kind of a person and for telling us your story today. You're welcome. Thanks, Ed. Um, Good morning. Uh, This is the 1101. I've never been here before, so hi. I'm usually at the community center end. As a part of the leadership class offered here at Orchard, you're asked to write your life story or narrative. We're told there's no right or wrong way to write your narrative, so I've taken a few liberties with that. I'd like to start by laying out a little bit about my thought processes and how I operate within my personality. Part of the class also involved taking an online assessment called Strength Finders. I had previously taken this shortly after graduating high school. The assessment is online and takes your answers from uh, about a 30-minute session of questions. And at the end, it spits out your top five strengths or talents. And I'm going to highlight what are the major three since they showed up five years ago and they showed up again earlier this year. Number one is deliberative. As a deliberative person, I'm careful, vigilant, and private. This means when Dave Bartlett asks a person like me to consider doing stories from the seats, the initial response is always no. Deliberative also means I like to look at a problem and assess the risks involved before diving in. And furthermore, I'm also careful not to overpraise people or recognize them for the fear that it might be misconstrued. My second top strength is context. This means that I look to the past for answers. I believe that I can more easily understand the present and potential for the future if I have an understanding of the past. This also means that when I'm thrown into a new situation, it takes some time to orient myself by gathering information and getting some questions asked before I feel comfortable with my surroundings. And my third top strength is Relator. And when you take the assessment, um, it'll personalize your strengths specifically to the person in my type of relator is this, that I'm drawn toward the type of people who are genuine and willing to share intimate goals, values, and details with me and I with them. 
The first, uh, going on in my version of Relator is that I surround myself with a group of eight to ten close relationships. Some people move in and out of my inner circle, but throughout my life the number of six to ten has never really changed. I'd also like to point out my current views and understanding of my, what my faith is within the Christian walk and what the church, church's role in that is. Because it's through this lens that I believe I can look at my past and see where I have failed miserably. I believe that we as mankind created in the image of a Trinitarian God are unceasing worshipers. This means that we as a people are in constant devotion and adoration toward a deity, idol, or sacred object by thought, word, and deed. Therefore, as sinners, we're also idolaters. And I get that from Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. And if anyone or anything but Jesus Christ is the object of your worship, you are committing, you're breaking the Ten Commandments by committing idolatry. My name is Caleb Timothy Hamer. I was born at Sartori Memorial Hospital here in Cedar Falls on August 15, 1986. That's 25, so you don't have to do the math on the weekend. I was born to Ted and Linda Hamer. I'm the first and only child born to my parents, and I've come to learn in recent years that they struggled for a long time before and after me to have children. This, I believe, is the obvious first place that God showed up in my life. The second is on the day I was born when he showed up in the operating room at Sartori as I was born emergency C-section after going into distress after a long labor. My parents brought me home to a small ranch home on my maternal grandparents' farm, For the first five years of my parents' married life, they lived here across the driveway from the larger farmhouse where my mom's parents lived. And I've often wondered what it's like to live across the driveway from your in-laws, and I hope I never have to find out. (laughs) Shortly before my first birthday, we moved to my dad's family farm, which is on the other side of the square mile from where we'd lived before. You see, my parents have lived within the same section or square mile their entire lives. Both growing up the fifth of six children, which in turn resulted in me being the twelfth grandchild of fifteen on both sides. Um, both riding the same bus to the same school and being one grade level apart. The farmhouse we had moved into on my grandparents' farm was very old, and it was the same house my grandmother and her sister were born in. My dad was and still is a self-employed farmer. He took over the daily operations of the family farm for my grandpa Tom in the early 1980s. My grandpa was into his mid-60s by the time my dad had completed a year of college and was ready to give up the labor on the farm and move to town. Grandpa and grandma moved to Hudson, but was still very much a part of my life growing up. My mom was employed at a doctor's office as a receptionist in the years leading up to me starting school, and my daycare provider was my Aunt Lois. She and my Uncle Jim lived just a half mile north of our farm, And they had four daughters of their own, the youngest of which was 11 years older than me. So I also became the baby of their family. I loved going to Aunt Lois's when I was younger, and I credit her with the fact that I'm not a picky eater, as she had a garden that I helped with growing up, and we got to eat the vegetables as they became ready throughout the year. Lois was a retired school teacher, and I believe vital to my academic success through school and beyond. Whenever I was at home, I wanted to be, as most every little boy would, I wanted to be where my dad was. Whether that was in the tractor or the combine or doing chores, feeding the hogs or checking the little pigs as we had a nursery and there always seemed to be sows having a litter of piglets. I remember my dad working hard all the time except for when he'd go up to the elevator up the road from time to time to play cards. 
And I would get to go and get a bottle of pop out of the pop machine. And this was the best because it was still glass bottled pop. And when you opened it, it would turn to slush because it was the perfect temperature. And orange soda and Mountain Dew were the best. I was also a mama's boy and probably still am if you ask my wife. She also would have things, she would always have things for me to do like painting with watercolors or playing with Play-Doh. And since she didn't have a daughter, I was always there to help her bake cookies or whatever she chose to make from her elaborate collection of cookbooks. I loved being at home on the farm with my extensive farm toy collection and my dogs, but I knew I had no siblings and it made me lonely at times. My closest cousins that lived locally were seven to ten years older than me, and I think that it's for this reason to this day I still associate with people five to ten years older than me than I do my own peers. I had cousins closer my age, but they lived in Kansas, so seeing them was always a joy, but it only happened once or twice a year. Perhaps the most cherished memories in my childhood were that of my Grandpa Hamer as he was still out on the farm almost every day, and he ran the combine until he was almost 80 years of age, until supper time when he'd go home to Hudson to my grandma and watch TV like MASH and Wheel of Fortune. My grandpa was a World War II vet, and I'd sit in the tractor or combine, and the old Massey Ferguson combines behind the operator's seat was like a shelf that a three- or four-year-old boy fits perfectly on, and he can crawl up there and fall asleep. So that was where I spent a lot of my time before I ever started school. And he'd tell stories about being on the aircraft carriers in the Pacific during World War II, and I, I just love thinking back to all those stories. We always went to church. We, always, we attended a small Lutheran church in Trer, where my dad had been baptized and raised. My grandpa and grandma Hamer went there as well. It was a typical small-town church where everybody knows everybody. Everyone has essentially the same seats every Sunday. And if there was ever more than 90 people in church, it was a huge Sunday. It seemed like my dad or grandpa was always on the church council, and my mom and or my grandma were always teaching Sunday school. I remember in my early elementary years, our church had some problems with the ELCA, the synod that it belonged to. And it was at that time that my dad and a few other people in the church led an effort to remove our church from the synod over some semi-glaring theological problems that were arising. It was at this time that I first realized that not all churches were the same, and some people did things from within the church that were not right. This ordeal split our small church, and most of the, or several of the small, or several of the younger families left. It was hard on our church, but I remember it being necessary. And I remember it being a time when my dad's Christian views began to develop further as he began to seek answers on his own. As I went through elementary, I believe it was typical of any other small town kid. We lived from recess to recess and bus ride to bus ride. Middle school brought some new things into the world for me, like school organized sports. Athletically, I was a late bloomer. I was more along the lines of the slow fat kid, or husky as my mom would say. By the end of junior high, I had become the quarterback of the junior high team and one of the top pitchers on the baseball team. As I entered high school, my current world began to take shape. My freshman year saw me get better as an athlete and enter the world of girls. It also led to the exit of the church stage of confirmation. I pretty much despised confirmation, even though my grandma taught half of it. I didn't understand why we had to memorize things out of the small catechism, and to this day I still don't understand why we were asked to memorize some of it. And shortly thereafter, we had a new pastor come in, and we had gone from a few years previous, our church being on the brink of complete liberalism, to the brink of complete legalism, as along with the new pastor, the church made some of its traditions and Lutheran ways its idol. 
Sometime during high school, we left this small church and set out church shopping for a new one. This first took us to First Baptist Church in Cedar Falls, which has now moved out here to become Prairie Lakes, and also to Orchard Hill. And for a short time, we tried to start our own church in Trier with a few families. We even had about 20 people a couple different times, and that really seemed to be church to me. Not the building, but the people. As a high schooler, I was interested in strong biblical teaching and doc- in theology and doctrine. And I don't understand why at the time, but I really liked it. By the end of my freshman year, I was pitching varsity and getting ready to make a run at varsity quarterback that fall as a sophomore. My sophomore year came and I got to see my first snaps as a varsity quarterback, the homecoming game. I went seven for seven for a hundred and something yards and two touchdowns. Life was awesome. I was playing quarterback about half time as a sophomore and that didn't seem to happen at our small school. I was also chasing one of the senior girls around, probably feeding off some of my newfound confidence. That fell through, and I was set up on a date with a freshman girl named Danny Bickett. Things went well, and we started dating that fall in 2002. My junior year saw sports come and go, and I pretty much hated the class ahead of me. I felt they were bad leaders, even though they weren't such bad athletes. And we dropped to below 500 in football and baseball. My senior year couldn't come fast enough. I had taken every snap my junior year and was ready to launch a senior year with a group of teammates, which I loved. The the football banquet after my junior year came and it was when the captains for senior season would be announced as voted on by the team. As the coach began reading the names, I stood up and began walking to the front to be recognized. For me and a couple other seniors, we had some things to address with the team. But my name was never read by the coach. I sat back down and after the banquet, I more or less ran to my car in tears and went home. I didn't understand what was wrong with me and why I wasn't good enough for my own teammates. I had been playing since I was a sophomore, and they had elected a kid who only played two games their junior season over me. That night, our head coach called me at the house and called me down. And if he hadn't called, I wonder if I would have even gone out my senior year. The senior year came, and we were picked to finish last in our district, so said the papers and some of the Internet sites. We finished the regular season ranked 10th in the state and entered the playoffs, traveling to the number one team in the state at St. Ansgar. We made it all the way to the state title game where we lost. I lost on the half-yard line, just like in Friday Night Lights. I haven't seen the movie, but I've been told that's the way it ends. At one level now, I'm glad we lost. You see, through the time of the playoffs, I'd been reading the papers and stories being written about me and the team, and I love seeing my name in them. I had played the best I'd ever played in those four playoff games, and the numbers showed it, and I had made attention and pride my idol. High school came and went. I was still dating Danny, and I headed to Marshalltown Community College to play college baseball. I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. I was going to take general education classes and see what happened. I found out very fast this wasn't high school sports anymore. Everyone was as good or better than me, much better than me, at the game that I had once loved. I wasn't doing well in school anymore either. You see, I didn't have to try in high school. I could rely on my smarts to be top of my class. Now I was going to have to study, and my procrastination was wearing on me, and if I did get schoolwork done, it was because I'd stayed up all night the night before to do it. The student apartments at MCC were cool, and we had fast Internet, which was new to me because the dial-up of the farm wasn't so great. The world of Internet porn began to nibble at me. 
I was going to church. I wasn't going to church anymore unless I was home for the weekend. Maybe I'd go with mom and dad. But college baseball takes up most of your weekends. And if I wasn't going to church with mom and dad, I was probably at, back in Rhinebeck to see Danny during her senior year. We had some rough times while I was at college. I had exchanged some text messages with a girl from Rhinebeck that I shouldn't have. That, combined with the porn, was, porn was degrading the, our relationship from my end, and porn was becoming my idol. I did, decided to leave Marshalltown after one year and be, to begin studying air traffic control. Minneapolis Community and Tech was the only Midwest school that offered an associate's level degree in it, so that was the fastest track for me to get to the workforce. The money was going to be awesome, the stress would be high, and I'd have the city life somewhere. There are some prerequisites for me to do before I could get into the program. Nine credit hours of which I could do online, so I, and then after which I could apply to the program. So after one year at MCC, I returned home and got a job at Terracon Consultants in Cedar Falls as an engineering technician while I stayed at the farm and did my classes. This was great for a while. I had a new job, a newer vehicle, and money in my pocket. Danny had started school at UNI, so that was cool because I was in Cedar Falls almost every day, except for the fact that I was still living at home and had mom and dad's rules and had to be home every night. I had also started coaching as an assistant baseball coach back in Rhinebeck. By the end of my prerequisite classes and coaching a season, after which our head baseball coach resigned and I was interested in pursuing that, I was also pretty sure that I wanted to marry Danny and decided to stay in the area and not pursue a career in air traffic control. I moved onward and upward at Terracon, becoming more experienced and reliable, and it made me feel like a valued asset at the office, and I liked that. I enjoyed being trusted to do more difficult jobs farther away from the office, and I could basically leave in the morning before the sun came up, be gone all day, jumping from construction site to construction site, seeing Iowa and working at a job that wasn't so bad. I also applied for that head varsity job at GR at the ripe age of 22. This was very exciting and horrifying when they gave me the job. In my two years as head coach, we went 49-10, and 10, and I was again looking in the papers, but this time I had become more humble. And now it was about making sure I wasn't misquoted and I was giving my team enough credit, not myself. The spring previous, in 2007, I had proposed to Danny. She was the only girl I ever really dated, yet I knew she was the one. Since I had been at home, I'd begun going to church again regularly with my parents, and we'd pick Danny up at the dorms, and we'd go to Orchard for church. I was beginning to get the fire back inside me for a strong biblical teaching and so on. We set a wedding date almost two years from our engagement, so I decided while I still had time, I wanted to go out and live on my own before the wedding. My good high school friend Sean and I got an apartment on 4th Street in Cedar Falls. It was overpriced, run down, and drafty. But whatever, what did any 20-year-olds want, right? He was part-time at Terracon where I had gotten him a job as he went to UNI. This caused me to have more alone time than I needed in that apartment and porn crept back into my life. Not ever a lot, just enough to eat at me. As our wedding approached, it became apparent that this apartment was not fit for a married couple and we began to look for housing. We'd found a place to rent in Cedar Falls, and I also was becoming aware of the fact that my current income was not going to be able to support myself and a wife who would still have a semester or two left of school. So I approached my dad about coming back to the farm, 
And whether it was God or a good business decision by he and his business partners, they agreed. And I started back on the farm in 2008, the fall of 2008. Our rental that we had been working on lining up in Cedar Falls fell through. And within 24 hours, a home on a farm that we farmed was going to be up for, we found out would be up for sale. So we pursued that. We closed on that house about two months before our wedding. It was a perfect home for us, and it was so much more than we could have ever asked for starting out. We were married in April of 2009, over there, back here somewhere. That day I did really marry my very best friend, and she, above all people, can see through my walls and call me out on things. And I'm eternally grateful for this, even though I get mad about it at times. In the spring of 2010, she let me know that she was pregnant, and I was horrified and excited at the same time again. She had just started a job at Viridian a few months prior, but we decided that we wanted her to raise our children, even though it would be financially difficult and secularly unpopular. She knew that she always had always only wanted to be a mom and then felt that, felt that that is her greatest calling. Cooper Thomas was born on January 9th of 2011, and he turned my world upside down. Since that time, there has been a fire in me to become a better man and a good father. I think Danny and I have grown closer with the birth of Cooper. And I think that we will continue to grow closer as we figure this parenting thing out as we go. We joined Orchard shortly after our wedding and haven't stopped going since. And on the farm, I have a lot of time in a tractor or semi, so I, and the radio gets old. So I found some podcasts that I enjoy listening to from churches like Open Door in Maple Grove, Minnesota, and Mars Hill Church in Seattle. Pastor Mark at Mars Hill has a way of speaking to men as husbands and fathers that gets me fired up and excited again, as does Orchard. I'm excited about the future with my wife and my son and my job and our faith. You see, looking back, I've always known Christ, but I've turned my back on him numerous times. I'm going to try hard not to make Cooper, Danny, my job, or myself my idol, but it's not always easy. I've been able to stay away from porn since before Cooper was born, and Danny and I went to one of Pastor Mark's marriage conferences last February. And I'm excited about finding more ways to be plugged in here in a community of young men and fathers, warning parents about the dangers of Internet porn, or perhaps mentoring young men before they get married. It's also my hope that I can be half the father that my father was to me, and half the husband that, to my wife that my father and my grandpa were to their wives. I know it's rare in today's society to have such positive father figure influences, and I'm extremely grateful for them. Thank you so much, Caleb. Appreciate your honesty. Um, I just want to ask a little bit more about uh, pornography because that's such a epidemic in our society. We all know statistics about that. I was just reading that the age that the average child is first exposed to pornography is at the age of 11 and that uh, 25 million porn sites online, about 12% of all uh, Internet sites are pornography. And uh, interestingly, the day in which there are, the day of the week in which there are most uh, hits on porn sites 
um, is Sunday. Um, we also know that porn can be pretty addictive, and yet you were able to kind of break free from that. Can you tell us a little more about that and maybe uh, help us a little bit? Um, I see it as kind of three things, uh, probably in reverse order. I didn't come up with these all at once, but looking back, they've built upon it. Um, when I found out Danny was pregnant, uh, I couldn't stand the fact of thinking of being a father looking at that stuff with a child. Um, number two, pornography at its core is lust. And the Bible is very clear about uh, your lust and your passions and your desires are be, to be toward your wife. And uh, the damage I was doing to her really broke me. And uh, thirdly, and probably most important, I realized I was having a worship issue, and I was worshiping my own desires rather than worshiping Christ and letting him reflect through me to the world. Thanks uh, for those words. You give us hope, uh, knowing that if, uh, if God can give you freedom from that, he can for us as well. Um, I wanna, want us to pray for Caleb, and I want you to join with me in that, please. Uh, Dear Father, how good you are to us. And, you know, we look back at the faithfulness that you've shown to Caleb in his life and we're uh, blessing you as he does for that. Uh, thank you, Lord, for his family. Thank you for the extended family from which he comes. And we pray your blessing upon him and Danny and Cooper. Bless their home. Bless their marriage. May it be strong and vital. Lord, we live in a culture that's hungry to see, you know, what what a Christian marriage can really look like. Um, bless Cooper as he grows. Keep him well and safe, protected. And I thank you, Lord, for the way you've worked in in Caleb's heart. It, it encourages us, Lord, to know that we can also look to you and uh, find that you give us the strength and grace that we need uh, to live victoriously for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.